Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. You doing okay today? You look pretty good. Look pretty good. I heard a, a story this week about a, uh, a, a man who was running a little late. He had a meeting that ran late. He was out of town and he was heading back home and he was trying to, to make up some time because he told his wife he'd be home at a certain time. And so he did like many of us men do from time to time. He decided to take a short cut. Any men in the house ever taken a short cut? Yeah, I've, I've tried those. How do those work out for you? Yeah, 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 me too. Uh, this one guy, he was taking a shortcut. Um, he's kind of picked up this backcountry road, and um, his right tire ran off the, the edge of the road. It was a very soft shoulder, and it literally pulled him down into the ditch uh, because the soil was so soft. And he, so he kind of found himself stuck out in the country on this dark road, and he saw, saw a light just a little ways down the road. So he walked down there. It was a house, and he knocked on the door, and this old farmer came to the, to the door, and uh, you know, the young man explained what had happened, asked him, could he help? He said, yeah, I think I got, got just a thing. We can take care of this. And so he says, follow me. The young man follows him. They go to a barn, and in the barn is this, he opens the door, there is this massive horse, just muscular horse. And the farmer introduces him. He says, this is, this is Buddy. And uh, so they, they get Buddy's harness and on him, and then they, they head out to the car. And when they get to the car, the farmer ties the rope around the bumper of the car, and then he ties the other end to the harness. Uh, hey, cars, how are you? God bless you. Cars, yeah, there was a car in the story. He tied the, the, the rope around, I'll explain it later. The, t- tied the rope around the bumper of the car and uh, around the horse, uh, harness, and he, he walks up to the horse and he um, kind of walks him so he gets some tension on the rope. And uh, he says, okay, pull, Nelly, pull. The horse doesn't do anything. And so he, uh, he looks at the, the guy and he says, watch this, pull, Sparky, pull. Nothing. Horse doesn't do anything. And so he walks up, he kind of pats the horse on the shoulder and he says, pull, buddy, pull. And so just with some easy looking strides, that horse just starts walking and he pulls that car right up out of the ditch. And the guy, you know, thanks him and, you know, they unhook the rope from the bumper and he says, I just got to ask you, did you forget your horse's name? You know, why'd you call your horse by two wrong names? And he says, well, Buddy is pretty much blind. And if he thinks he's got to do all the work, he won't budge an inch. <laughs> now, one of the things that I have found to be true in relationships is that people are like that. You ever notice that? You ever been in a a relationship and you felt like you were doing all of the work? And we don't, we don't want to do all the work in, in relationships. We, we, we we want, we want some kind of co-laboring in, in our relationships. 
And the truth is, God, God planned for relationships to work in that way, in, in a very unique way, because we, we, we relate better than we do alone. See, there, there's a, a phrase in the New Testament, it's used just about a hundred times. It's the phrase, one another. And so there are, there are enough one another's in the New Testament that it's going to take one another to accomplish all of them. You, we can't do them by ourselves. We can't pull out of our problems, most of us, by ourselves. We need, we need another to help us. We, we, we just got to have that kind of help. And re, relationships work better when we work at them together, aiming for the same common goal. Now, between services, somebody stopped me after the first service and said, that was a great Valentine message. I promise you, I didn't even think about Valentine's. I didn't mention Valentine's. It didn't, it didn't run through my brain that Valentine's was going on and we were going to talk about the passage from Ephesians where we just landed. I did not plan this. I am not that good. Okay? Just trust me. My staff will... I, I was surprised several of them didn't say, Amen! Um, I just, I didn't plan this, but we're, we're, we're going to talk about relationships today. One of the prominent ones, obviously, being marriage. But before we get to that part of our scripture, I want to back up to where we talked for a moment last week in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to start in verse 18. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to kind of do you a little reminder before we get to where we're going to kind of fix today. And in verse 18, Paul wrote these words. He said, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We do that with one another. We're supposed to interact with one another that way. Verse 21 has another one another in it. And it says this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I want to stop there. Because in Joe's humble opinion... The next four sections of, of, of Scripture, the next, really what you might think of as paragraphs, most Bibles, they're kind of paragraphed off, um, are contingent. If you miss verse 21, the other passages make no sense. They have no power. They get watered down without focusing and living in 21. And so I want to I suggest that the following paragraphs that have to do with husbands and wives and parents and kids and employees and employers, um, servants and masters kind of thing. If you don't get, if we don't get the role that verse 21 plays in all of that, all of those relationships and the words there lose their power and beauty. And so we're going to spend some time really kind of weeding out in verse 21. It says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that word submit is a combination of two Greek words. The, the word actually in Greek is hupotasso. And it's the combination of two Greek words. The first one being hupo, which has to do with um, kind of under. Sometimes it's translated under or place under. Tasso is the Greek word that we translate as rank or arrange, putting, putting in an order. And so when you put hupotasso together, you really get a military term primarily. That means to, to come, fall under rank or to place under, under order. It was mostly used in the Greek world as a military term. So that those who are marching are under a superior rank officer so that both order and the mission function. There's a reason why the word submission has the word mission in it. So again, I want you to notice something. Submission in the Bible is tied to the Holy Spirit's presence. Don't be drunk with wine, it says in verse 18. Um, for that could lead to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another, it says. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
So being filled with the Holy Spirit, the result of that, in these original words, there's this principle of, of filling. The result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not that you become arrogant or brash or, or, or bossy. You know, if somebody, if somebody says, look, I've been, I've been filled with the Spirit. I got a word from God from you. And, and they start laying it on you. I'm telling you, that's a spirit. But more than likely, it's not the Spirit of God. Because when you read what happens when the Spirit of God comes with somebody, we learn to submit ourselves to one another. Not, not this big stuff. When the Spirit of God comes on His people, submission becomes a pathway that we want to live in. We submit to one another. Now, there's another reason why we got to camp out on verse 21. Because verse 22 has no meaning whatsoever apart from verse 21. Now, I know, I know men... I know some men that I've run into who know this next verse by heart and they like using verse 22 as a sledgehammer. They don't know John 3.16 but they know Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands. They got that one going on. You know, they try to em employ that one. But if you try to employ verse 22 without verse 21, you have no foundation to stand on and here's why. What we know is separated is verse 21. In fact, if you, if you want to pull one of, the, one of the house Bibles out and look at it, this happens many times in study Bibles. And in Western culture, it's, it's horrible for me because here's what happens. In, in, in this Bible, when you get to, to verse, you read verse 21, they put a, a heading up. And it says, wives and husbands, or husbands and wives, or, or, or something like that. In lots, almost all of my study Bibles did that. I went and checked. And so to the Western mind we think, oh, new paragraph. So when we're studying this, you know what we do? We stop at verse 21. And we say, I'll come back tomorrow. And we forget verse 21 and we go to verse 22. And we do the word of God great horror. And we do ourselves a great disservice. Now, please hear me say this. I love this book. This book is the sole and final source of authority for my life. It is God's word without any mixture or error. I believe that. It is infallible. It is good. The, the, the word says this. For teaching in anything in life. I hold to that. And I tell you that because some of you, your eyebrows are going to get raised when I tell you this next thing. When you read verse 22, if you were to separate it out as it's broken up, the, the way the, the English translators have broken it up and pulled apart the Greek narrative, the Greek letter that Paul wrote, the word submit is not in verse 22. It does not exist there. They have to be stuck together. What the translators did was they took the word submit in verse 21 because they were, they were all tied together. And so this is what it would naturally say. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands. That's the way it actually reads. That's what translators knew that in context and so they put it in there. It's there by context. So don't, don't think it's not there. It's there by context. But it's only there when you keep verse 21 and 22 together. Does that make sense? Am I clear as mud on that? They can't be pulled apart. Do, doing that does damage to the text in a tremendous way. And it's important to understand. My understanding, my belief is that verse 21 covers all 
of these relationships that's being, that Paul is writing about uh, as we move through into, into chapter 6 even. Now, you know, I told you, I, I, I love this book. I don't worship this book. You shouldn't worship this book. It's not, it's not we worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Book, the Holy Bible. We worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this book needs to be an authority in our lives. And so we need to, to live out of that, um, that authority. So when it says, wise, submit to your husbands, it, it's in there, but don't you dare separate it from verse 21. Now, you okay with me now? We're together? Okay, just want to make sure there. Jump into verse 25. Because this is where submission works, I believe, for the husband. Now, some of you are saying, so Joe, you're saying the Bible says husbands are submitted in their relationship to the wife. What did verse 21 say? Submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. Wives, now we're going to hit husbands, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is not a more powerful act of submission on the planet than to give up your life, submit, lay your life down for somebody else. Nothing more powerful than that. The greatest act of submission known to humanity took place on a wooden cross. When Jesus submitted himself fully to death on a cross, that's what the Bible says, to, to the point of obedience, he submitted himself to, to death on the cross. He was obeying his father. Now, what I'm saying here does not change the role that God has designated for husbands in a marriage. God still intends for the husband to be the leading role in the home. Loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Just so you know I'm tracking with that, I want you to flip over to the 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Be imitators of me, Paul says, as I am in, of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Now that verse 3, there are people who, um, they, they take that verse and they say, hey, you Trinitarians, those of you that believe that God is one and yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, you got a problem with this verse. They say because what that verse says is that God, the Father, is superior to Jesus. And that is not what that, that verse is saying. We know that the Bible, Jesus said that the Father and I are one. Paul, when he wrote that great, that great passage in Philippians chapter 2, he, he told us that Jesus, who was in the very nature, was God. He, he's, he's, he's all God. But here's the deal. Even in the relationship of the Godhead, there are submissive roles. There are roles of submission. And if, if it takes place in the Godhead, don't you understand how much more important it would be in human relationships? In marriages? in parenting, in the workplace, and, and, in, and in Christ's church. See, the principle of submission is what actually makes all relationships find their best path for working. Submission is like the lubrication, the oil that keeps those relationships running smoothly. So I want to pick back up in verse 22 and read again. Verse 21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, as is himself, its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in a few things 
that what it says? No, it's not what it says. Just a little humor there. Just make, you're awake. I appreciate that. In everything to their husbands. In everything to their husbands. Now, submission does not mean enslavement. Submission does not mean tyranny. This I'm the king of the castle stuff, that's not what's being spoken of here. That is not what God's word is talking about. This is not me Tarzan, you Jay. It's, it's not that kind of thing. We're not talking about superiority and inferiority. What we're talking about are roles. Remember, we read that a moment ago in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, verse 3, when it talked about the, 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 that Christ, it, God is the head of Christ. There, it's, it's about roles. It's not about being superior. It's about living out, uh, living out these roles. And so, there have been times when I have been around some men who were speaking of their wives and they would, they would speak kind of in, you know, slightly derogatory terms, insinuating that she doesn't necessarily have it all together. Now, I don't think they realize how poor of a reflection that puts on them. Because you asked her a question and she said, I do. I mean, if she's, if she's that nit with it, what's that say about you? You know? See, we, we, we've got to think through these things clearly. I, I, I heard about a conversation that was told that Adam had with, with God. It said, God, why'd you make her so soft and so beautiful? And God said, so you'd love her. And I said, God, before you go, just one more question. Um, why'd you make her so kind of silly? And God said, so she'd love you, dude. The, um, <laughs> see, go back to verse 22. Something important there that you've got to grab hold of. Again, it flows through all these relationships. Because there's a qualifying phrase here in verse 22. And that phrase is, as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as to the Lord. See, there's the goal... The goal here leads to the role. The role is to submit. That's the role. The goal is that it's done to bring glory to Jesus. That's what the goal is. And so in all of these relationships that we're going to see, we're going to see that that's going to be common language. It's to, it's to bring glory to the great name of Jesus. It's, it, it, we need to think of it as an, as an act of worship. Ladies, this is for you. If Jesus just showed up at your house, well, it's not even at your house. Let's say you're heading out to your car today and Jesus just showed up in the parking lot. You know, Jesus did that once. He just showed up one time. This dude was hanging out in a tree. And Jesus walked up to him and said, what did what, what, Jesus say to him? Coming to your house today, going to eat. Ladies, what if Jesus walked up to you today in the parking lot and said, Hey, I'm coming home with you. I want you to fix me a meal. I'll bet most of you would try to knock that meal out of the park. I, I, I just believe most of you would try to do the very best work you can. It, it would be like the best meal that you ever prepared. Because you're doing it as to the Lord. Now some of you would say this to me. Joe, you don't know my husband. Perhaps I don't. Perhaps I do. That's not the point. The, the, the point is, 
even though they don't inspire your respect, they may be grumpy and ungrateful. God's word says, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then if you look at verse 24, it said, do it in, in, in everything. Now, so you don't just think that that's just Paul. You know, there are some people that just get down on Paul and think, you know, Paul was this, had this macho thing going. It's, it's, it's in the New Testament. Peter writes about this too under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, both, both Peter and Paul are writing on this. I thought about doing a, a series one day on marriage because both Peter and Paul have a lot to say. Call it Peter, Paul, and marriage. The... Um, <laughs> And that's for several generations. We'll get different parts out of that, I'm sure. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter, Peter writes these words. He says, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word. Now, stop there. When it says, even if some of them do not obey the word, that could be one of two things. They could be an unbeliever. Or they could be a disobedient believer. Who's outside of the word of God right now. It could, it could be either here. That Peter's writing about. He says so even if some do not obey the word. They may be won without a word. By the conduct of your wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry. And the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be in the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which in God's sight is what? That's precious. That's precious in the sight of God. Even if they don't obey the word, they could be one, the Bible says, without a word. They could be one without a word. And what that, what that means, ladies, is this. Nagin's not going to get it. Okay? Nagin will, will not move. Any, criticizing will not move. Pushing and prodding will not move. Sticking a gospel tract in between two pieces of bread and their bologna... And, you know, thinking they'll bite into it and have a repentant moment. All that's going to do is make them mad. Okay? You, you don't have to do that. It, it's going to be more out of the way that you live. Now, I got to say this. and Please hear me say this. And it's in the Word. So you need to see it clearly. There is a limitation. A qualifying phrase limiting on... What it means to do this in everything. Submit to, to your husband in, in everything. Because remember this, this principle of submission has this qualifying statement. As unto the Lord. In reverence to the Lord. And so what that means is this. If your husband, wives, comes to you and tells you to do something that violates this book. The words of, of God in this book. You still love your husband. But you love Jesus more. You submit to Jesus more. If, if you're in an abusive relationship, that is, not, that is not submitting to Jesus more. You need to get out of that relationship. Because that person needs help. And they're not going to find it by you knuckling under their pressure. You get out to find help for you and for them. That's submitting mostly to Jesus. Am I clear on that? Okay, not going any further on that one. This idea, those limitations um, are, are in there. Submitting first to the Lord. Okay, husbands, our time in the barrel. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What, what's the first word of verse 25? Husbands. Do you know where that term comes from? 
That term has an agrarian tie to it. Husband actually meant to till, to cultivate. Um, in, in John chapter 15, many of us love John chapter 15. Jesus talks about abiding in him, remaining in him, and he'll remain in us. Um, that verse, that, that section of scripture that Jesus, Jesus states, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. What, what word does the King James use there? Husbandmen. Because it, it really is, it comes from that word kind of husbandry. It's this idea of a, the husband's role in the relationship is to till it. To nurture the relationship. To cultivate it. Both with his wife, if there's children in the family, with children. You know, there's an old uh, Chinese saying that goes this way, a proverb that says, It's harder to lead a family than to rule a nation. And brother, I felt that some days. You know, some of you have felt that some days. It's just, it's hard to do. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. And we need more of it in our homes. There are days, please understand this, don't judge me till I'm finished. There are days when I get tired of hearing that we need more Christians in politics. And nobody's saying we need more Christian men leading in their homes. If we had more Christian men leading in their homes, using the scriptures, our nation wouldn't be having to cry it all the time. We need more Christians in politics. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I think it's good. But that's not the, that's not the core here. It's these deep relationships. And so Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, there, there is this definition of love here in this verse that I don't, I don't want us to miss. The word that's used here, uh, that's translated from the Greek is which one? You remember? It's, it's agape. It's the strongest, most powerful word for love. Remember the Greek language has like four words for love. This is the one that's used of God's love. It's here it's saying, husbands love your wives like God does. This is the powerful word for love. And what that tells me is that a husband is not just supposed to be the head. He's supposed to be the heart of the home. Both the head and the heart of the home. Husbands love you. Not order your wives. Husbands, it doesn't say roll over your wives. The point is this, I believe. That if, if there is, you need a balance of authority and affection. If it's all authority, it's just going to be kind of a tyranny. If it's just all affection, there's not going to be any leadership. Nothing's going to go anywhere. It's just going to be kind of sappy sentimentalism. Husbands, agapao. Love like God loved, like Christ loved the church. Now, I told, I told the first service, and I'm going to tell you this, and I know she's sitting over there, and I told him she'd be sitting over there as my wife. My model for trying to love her is Jesus. Now, if she were honest with you, she would tell you, I fail my model miserably. I have not made that mark, ever. But that's still my model. And that needs to be every man's model. It's not, it's not my dad or my grandfather or anybody else. Not another man that I've seen love his wife well. My, my model's Jesus. 
as Christ loved the church. And so what I want us to do is take a few minutes just to, to look at what does, what does the submission, submissive love of Jesus, when, when Jesus loves from a spirit of submission, what does it look like? What kind of love is that? Because it's the kind of love that we need to pour into every relationship. Whether we're a husband or a wife or a parent or a child. Or, or whether we're an employer or an employee. And so I want to give you four what, what I think of as four biblical submissions rooted in, in God's love. What it looks like. And here's the first one. In verse 25 it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. And what that tells me is that Christ's submissive love is sacrificing. It is a sacrificing kind of love. Jesus loved you, his church. He loved you enough to leave the splendor, the beauty, the glory of heaven. To become completely obedient to his father. Submissive to death on the cross. He came here. He was spat on. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. Some of you would probably say, that's just a day in my house, man. It's not. Not in the same way that it was for Jesus. Just not the same. See, Jesus loved people enough to die for them. Now, I hear husbands from time to time say, yeah, I'd take a bullet for my wife. Sure, I'd, I'd do that. And I want to say, hey, dude, that's admirable. That's great. It's, it's noteworthy. But what about the lesser sacrificial things? What about, what about not just being willing to die, but how are you living for her today? How are you living for, for your kids? Wives, how are you living for your husband? What, what does that look like? See, the ultimate display of submission, according to what Paul's writing here, is, the, is loving like Christ did. He gave himself up. He didn't just die. That was part of it. But he gave all of himself into it. He poured himself into it. And so, husbands... When was the last time you loved your wife sacrificially? That you did, that you sacrificed for her? Or when was the last time you sacrificed for your kids? Or kids, when was the last time you sacrificed something for your parents? See, all of this, these submissive relationships work best when we're loving like Jesus loved. The second love that's displayed is in verse 26. It says this, it says that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. See, the commitment of Jesus here is not only a sacrificial love. His love continues. It's a sanctifying love. Christ's submissive love is a sanctifying love. It's, it's sacrificial, but it's also sanctifying. And, and basically what that means is this. Jesus' love for you did not end when he got off the cross and went back to heaven. Jesus is sanctifying you. He, 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 he has an interest in your life right now. He wants something better for you. That's what this sanctifying is. Jesus is committed to your growth. Jesus co is committed to you coming out of your brokenness. The Bible uses this term sanctification. It was a, fam a favorite uh, phrase of Paul's. And it basically means that Jesus wants more for you. More than you have. In your relationships, in your heart, in, in your life. And that's why Jesus is still sacrificing for you. The Bible says that Jesus is making intercession for you right now. He's praying for you and me. It said, the Bible tells us that he gave us his spirit. I, some days I feel like the Holy Spirit got the raw end of the deal living in me. You ever feel like that about yourself maybe? 
You know? But he gave us, he, he poured his spirit in us. He empowers us through his word. Jesus is constantly at work. He didn't, he didn't just go back to heaven and say, good luck. He has a sanctifying love. He demonstrates that over and over again. Not only is his love sacrificial and sanctifying, but verse 28, we see the third kind of love. It's saying, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as what? Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Christ's love, submissive love, is also a securing love. It's a securing love. In a husband-wife relationship, it means the husband is making his wife feel absolutely secure. It's a bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh kind of love. It's where a husband sees his wife's life as an extension of his. And so he wants to carry and he wants, he wants to nurture it to the point that she feels secure in the relationship. That he loves, loves her as, at, at least as much as he loves himself. In Mark chapter 12, there is the, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now sometimes people try to make a point of that, that verse, love your neighbor as yourself. And they really want to drive home the point that you've got to love yourself before you love your neighbor. I don't really believe that that was what Jesus was going after. I think Jesus knows that most of us are pretty darn selfish. We're just natural. We naturally love ourselves. Want to take care of ourselves. Want to get, get, get in front of the line. You know, that's just, that, that's who we are. I think what Jesus was saying there, that Paul is really pulling from, is Jesus was saying, look, start loving other people at least like you love yourselves. And that's what Paul is saying here. I believe he pulled that teaching out of the lips of Jesus in, in what he's writing to the church at, church at Ephesus. Adam got this. Adam understood that kind of right out of the gate, that at, right after the, the first wedding, you know, the inception of marriage recorded in Genesis chapter 2. Do you remember what, what Adam's first words were when he saw Eve? You remember? Whoa, man. That's not really what he said. But, but look at what he said. Genesis chap, chapter, chapter 2, verse 3. He says, this at last... Now remember what, what, what had Adam been doing? He had been naming them stinky smelling goats and the pigs, you know, and wildebeest. And now Eve shows up and he says, at last, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, he shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken out of man. See, when you read the Hebrew, there are times when you need to see. It's emotional. It's filled with power and life. You know, you could translate it Eeyore-like. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. That is not the way. If you read that verse that way, there's just something wrong with you. I'm sorry. I mean, there's power. There's life here. Much emotion. In our culture... We spend a lot of time trying to, to take care of our bodies. You know, we eat on health kicks and, you know, we vitamins and all kinds of stuff. And go to the gym. There was, you know, people, a lot of people just lived there. I, there was a season in my life when I just kind of lived in the gym. I know some of you are saying, what happened, dude? The, um, 
But, you know, there was just a day. And so we do a lot of things to try to take care uh, of our bodies. And we, we kind of wrapped up in those. And, you know, one of the things about, about gyms, how many of you have ever been in a gym? I'm not talking about you joined. I'm talking about you actually went past the front desk. Okay, you've been in a gym. Most gyms have these shiny glass things in them. What are they called? Mirrors, supposedly the mirrors are there so that you can make sure that you are doing the exercise properly. Extending the right extension, not going past full extension, those kinds of things. Making sure you're doing everything properly. But what are they really there for? So you can look at yourselves. We can see ourselves in the mirror. So we pick that weight up and then our muscles flex. They pump up, you know, we think, yeah, man, got it going on. You know, and when I, when I was in the gym working out, I'll admit I looked every now and then. But it was amazing to me watching some of the other people look at themselves. You ought to go in the gym sometime, if for nothing else, just to watch that. You know, it, 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 that, that can be funny. There was a study done back in 2016, it's been done before, of, of some anthropology students ran the mirror test and they put a mirror up in a public place. Uh, this, was, this one was done out in California. I think they hooked it onto like the outside of a bank in a busy walking thoroughfare. And they, they were checking out how many people and almost everybody looked. Almost everybody stopped and looked. Some people longer than others. But they, 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 did, they compared who looked the most. Who do you think it was, men or women? It was men. I know most men, I couldn't believe it when I said it. I went back and looked at a couple other stuff. It was men. You know, hands down, it was men. You know, it, it's just, it's this crazy thing. But it's interesting that Paul knew that. And so Paul compels us, husbands, love your wives in such a way. Love them like you do your own bodies. Commit yourselves to them that way. You know, one of the things that goes on in, uh, in relationships that d undermines security is not telling people what you feel. There are a lot of guys who do not speak into their wives' lives things like, I love you. You matter to me. You know, you do great things. I love the way you did that. You know, uh, there, there are guys who, you know, they'll tell you, I'm a man of my word what I am. I told her I loved her on the first day. I'm a man of my word. She shouldn't need to hear it again because I'm a man of my word. Well, you might be a man of your word, but you're an idiot too. <laughs> God designed her and you to need words of affirmation. We, 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 we've, got to, we've got to have it. I mean, sometimes it's hard for, I mean, a man to say, I love you. Until it's 10 o'clock at night. You know? Then, new ball game. Verse 31, before I get in trouble. Therefore, am I in trouble? A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What that tells me is that Christ's submissive love, the love of God, God's plan is that love be a stabilizing love. That in our relationships, that a submissive love will stabilize relationships. Again, Paul here is quoting back from Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
leaving, leaving all other relationships behind to create this new one, to form this new one powerfully. The word cleave, if you look at it in the original kind of language in, in the Old Testament, really has to do with being glued together, so, so intertwined together that it becomes inseparable. Nobody would even think about trying to tear it apart. It would be kind of like this. Any of you ever mess with Gorilla Glue? Sticky stuff, baby. It would be like taking two pieces of cardboard, slathering one side with Gorilla Glue, putting the other piece on it, you know, putting a book on it, letting it kind of harden and dry, and then coming back and trying to get two pieces of cardboard out of that mess. You know, people would say, well, they're two separate pieces. <laughs> no, they're not. You might could pull them apart, but what you're going to have in your two hands is going to be something that's different. Something that's torn. Something that's less than the original. It just happens that way when, when, when cleaving takes place. Essentially, you end up with one unit. You're, it, even if you successfully pull them apart, it will be severely damaged oftentimes. And that was God's plan for marriage, for, for, for it to be such a stabilizing love that nobody ever fears for that. Nobody's ever worried about that. But we don't live that way all the time. You know, one of the things that's true about the, 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 the Y chromosome of humanity is there's kind of this hunting thing in us, you know? We, we don't shop, we, we hunt. We go in the store, we buy, we get out, you know? That's kind of, kind of the, 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 the hunting in us. And so when we, when, we, when we go looking for a date, a mate, we're hunting, most men are. We're, we're, we're hunting. And so she's in the crosshairs. That's the one. And then we do just about anything we can to capture the prey. To trap them. You know? Words. We use all kinds of really good words. Doors are opening. Every, they're just flying open magically. You know? Doors are opening. There's gifts and flowers and all of that. Until I conquered Great hunter, bagged and tagged. <laughs> you know, it's true. And then all of that's out the window. All of, that, all of that ceases. You know, it is easy to get married. It is hard to stay married. It is an art form to stay happily married for a lifetime. And what this world desperately needs is some great artistry of marriage. Just some great, great exhibits of marriage in, in, in our world. Verse 32. This mystery, Paul says, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Think about this. Verse 32, it's rich. It says a marriage relationship is to be intended to be a microcosm, a mini version 
of God's love in the church, of Christ's love for the church. So that if we really wanted to see what a really healthy, strong church looked like, we would look for a great Christian marriage. A great marriage centered in Christ is what a church should look for. A wife submitting to her husband as unto the Lord. A husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. A beautiful relationship with that. If, if, that, if that happened in our relationship, people wouldn't have to be shoving tracks in people's sandwiches. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to do that because it would be a living tract. It would be a living display of the gospel. And that's, that's the way God loves his people. That's what, the, that's what Paul's saying here. And the reason we need those displayed is because people are going to want that. It's going to be the beauty of the gospel displayed in real time in something that we all long for. Deep intimacy with another person. Paul said, he said, I'm saying that, that marriage refers to Christ. Let me just give a little bit more application here. A a good marriage, a good Christ-centered marriage is a great witness. A bad marriage is a horrible Christian witness. I mean, just think about this. And and I know this is going to be a little painful for some, but it's just true. What authority do we have to say Jesus can make a difference? Jesus can change your life. If in the most intimate of human relationships where two Christians are living in a home and and sharing a bed, they can't find ways to forgive. They can't find ways to humble themselves and submit and, and, and love sacrificially. What chance does anybody think that Jesus can make a difference in their lives? Now I want to do something. I want to read real quickly. Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6. I am not going to unpack them like I did the others. Just want to skim over them. Children, obey your parents in what? In the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up what? In the discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. The presence of the Lord here is here again. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere hearts as you would who? Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from, from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this will be received back from the Lord. Uh, whether he is a bond servant or free. Now look at what it says, uh, verse 9, masters. Masters, do the same to them. All of that application about the role of playing out your relationship with the Lord applies to masters as well. And so what? here's what I want us to see. I want us to be captured by the reality in all relationships, the lubricant needs to be a submissive love. This submissive love of Christ. And the overarching banner is so that Jesus will be glorified. So that the beauty of the gospel can be seen by a broken world. That I treat you a certain way, but I realize that when I'm doing that, what I'm doing is I'm doing it to Jesus. I'm doing it because God is watching and he's, he, I'm wanting his approval. So I want you to see real quickly the time. I'm just going to run through these real quickly. In chapter 5, we see this in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ. Love the church. Chapter 6, children obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers do not provoke your children. Bring them up in the, in the Lord. Bond servants obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Masters do the same thing, which means as you would Christ. 
all of it falls under this, this arch of God. We can't separate those things. If you want relationships to flourish. I, I, I'm a visual guy, so I think in visual terms, and I think of it this way. I think of my, my relationships with, with uh, people as being horizontal. So I think of it as an axis. I think of my relationship with God being vertical. And here's the truth. If, if, if I've got bumps in my horizontal, that axis, that line, most likely there's some bumps in my vertical. If I'm, if I'm not walking with God in a good way, it will show up this way. That's, that's just the truth. And so, one of the questions we all have to ask is, what's going on in my relational world? What's going on with people I employ? Or who I work for? What's going on in my marriage? What's going on with, with, my, with my children or children? What's going on with my relationship with my parents? Are, are they humming along? Are they smooth or are they clunking? Because if they're clunking, more than likely, there's no lubricant of submission being applied. One last thought, and I'm going to close with this. Little nine-year-old Craig was asked this question, along with his classmates, but Craig's response was great. The question was this, what would you do if you're going on your first date and it started to go really bad? Now imagine being a nine-year-old being asked this question. What do you, first date, what do you do if it starts going really bad? This was Craig's answer. I'd run home and play dead. He's not done. Then the next day, I'd call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all their dead columns. Far too many of us practice Craig's method of relationships. We run and we play dead. We play dead in our marriages. We play dead in our parenting. We play dead in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's killing us. It, it's just killing us. God is calling us to a life of submissive love that sacrifices. He's calling us to, to a life, a, a relationship that will bring glory to him. Because it creates security. It creates stability. And all of that happens only when all of us in all of our relationships are lubricating them with the power of submissive love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come. We come thanking you for your word. Thanking you, God that you hold out more hope for us than we do for ourselves. And you give us pathways in your word that's filled with power and beauty for relationships. No matter what they are, you have a plan, God, for a better way for humanity to find flourishing in you. And so, God, I come right now praying for myself and my friends in this room, God, because we need you. We need all of our relations all of our relationships, our marriages, our parent-child relationships, our work relationships, our relationships in, in this church. We need to all be pouring the lubrication of a spirit of submission to one another out of reverence to you, Jesus. So that the beauty 
of your love can be experienced. So the power of your transformation can be experienced. So that that brokenness that we can be raised out of can be experienced. And the world will look and say, we want that. So right now where you're at, maybe you just need to run the relationship test and ask, am I sacrificing for people that I'm in relationship with? At work, where I live, work, and play, in my home, in my parenting, in my marriage? Am I sacrificing? Am I creating a secure and stable environment? Am, am I doing that, Lord? Is that, is, that, is that reality? Am I invested past my first commitment and am I I'm in it so the other person can be transformed and I have a sanctifying love in all my relationships that I want better for people? And if not, maybe today what you want to say to the Lord is, God, I want that. I want to be that. I choose this day. Maybe you're here today and for the very first time you realized how much you're loved by God that he has wonderful plans for your life for every relationship you have but you've been trying to do it on your own and right now the Bible says this is the time for you. This is the appointed time, the hour. Don't let your heart be hardened. Come. Come. And God's word says, if you call on the name of Jesus with a repentant, trusting heart, believing that by God's power he was raised from the dead, he overcame death so that you could overcome death one day, even in the here and now, you could be saved. And you can trust him right where you're at. Father, we come now. We come because we need you to build all of this into us. We want to build our life on that foundation that is Jesus. We want to build our life on the foundation that's your word. And so we come again giving ourselves back to you. Surrendering God our talents, our time, our treasure. Giving you back your tithe. Giving, bringing our offering. Bringing ourselves God. Asking the question. God, what are you saying to me and what do you want me to do with it? Because we want to be those people. In Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.